Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Some of you have asked me over the last couple, over the last year, like, you know, is there anything that you miss from moving over here? And Jenny and I have talked a little bit about this. And one of the things is we're like, well, we don't like taking care of a pool, but we sure would have liked to have been able to just go swim every single day for the last year. That would have been a joy. And it's right about now on a day like today that if you have a pool, you start thinking about, you know, we should get that thing open. Like, it'd be really awesome to be in the pool today and to just hang out and swim. And that's always a mess. Uncovering the pool was never our best day of the year. It was never the best day in our marriage. Let's just leave it at that. But once it's finally open and you finally get it clean and the kids are all getting excited and then there's always this moment, right? All the kids are like, let's go put on our bathing suits and they all go inside and they're out in like five seconds. Why they can't do that for church is another question entirely, but they can get ready to swim in five seconds and then they all run out to the diving board and then everybody looks not quite sure who's going first. Because they know it's warm in the air, that water is still ice cold. If it's not a pool, maybe it's the ocean for you. Like, it's great that you're at the beach, who's going in the water first? It's not going to be me. The kids know full well that a a summer afternoon of fun awaits them, it's just about diving into the water. I think about this a lot, this process, this holding up on the diving board as we've talked about whys and thought about all of that. Because we know that as we care for our neighbors, we know there are times where we get, there be new opportunities to learn and to serve and to love. And yet there's a sense in which that pool diving in can look awful cold, maybe even a little painful. So why? It's the question that faces us as we start this journey in May. Why? Why would a community of faith do this? Are there not better ways to address this in our community? And perhaps the most important question of all for a people seeking after Jesus is the question that we should always be asking. Yes, it's great that church does so many things, but the question is, how does this draw us closer to Jesus? How does this do any of that? Well, if we start with that question, and if we approach it with some kind of a lens... Then we start to get at the heart of the matter. Because if we as a people are just about doing stuff, we'll find that crumbles fairly quickly and easily. And in fact, we can be intimidated stepping into places that we don't feel a particular kind of expertise. But maybe just maybe our response is a little different. If we don't start with an action, if we don't start with what are we going to do, but rather start with our faith and how it will impact us and grow us. So let's start this journey with Jesus. In the book called The Bible and Mental Health, which is a heavy read, but if you're interested in this topic, it comes highly recommended, psychologist and Anglican priest Joanna Collicutt quotes a fellow Anglican, one of my heroes in faith, C.S. Lewis, of course, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, etc., etc. I'm sure many of you are familiar with his work. And he famously said, and I remember saying this as a kid to people, C.S. Lewis said, either this man, meaning Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. This is just part, I have heard this since I was this tall. 
Either Jesus is who he says he is, or other people might say, he's crazy. What Collicutt illustrates is that inherent in such a statement, and yes, she's criticizing Lewis here, as would I, she points out that God and what Lewis called madness are mutually exclusive. As if somehow those two things never overlap. That God and being atypical, God and experiencing the world in a different way must be totally polar opposite things. They are presumed these mutually exclusive ideas. Madness must, must indicate irrationality, where of course God is rational. And surely madness must mean some sort of ill health, where clearly God represents health and vigor. It's, it's all in this, it's all assumed in this statement. And based on these two assumptions, we have, as the larger body of Christ, have knowingly or unknowingly lumped illness, struggles, burdens, being atypical, and yes, even mental health concerns as something fundamentally mutually opposed to God. That it's beyond the bounds of proper faith. So when someone is burdened, mental health or otherwise, we either say that God has some bigger purpose, thus we blame God, or that God has brought it on them as some consequence of ungodly action. We can see, yes, where this might be destructive to those who struggle under such burdens. Our theology has taken us often to a place that is difficult and painful. But, to, but what of Jesus, actually? Does Jesus and the faith traditions that are rooted in him support such a reading? Is it true that God is either rational or is, that God is rational and those of us who struggle are irrational? Is that true? Well, to unpack all of that is more of an undertaking than we can do on this day. But let us make a few short points about this. So much of our inability in this country, in our families, and in our churches to fail to discuss and address these issues is rooted in the idea of shame. Because we've inherited this theology and we believe that if things are not right, then God must be punishing me. And that, is, that brings on intense feelings of shame. Shame because we've internalized these ideas that we've just spoken about. And because of that shame, we're scared to death about being cast out from our loved ones and caregivers and communities, the places where we find meaning. We're scared to death of losing control of our everyday existence. We're scared to death that we'll no longer be able to make meaning out of our experience. What is it that we're going to do? How are we going to live into this world with meaning and purpose if everything is off kilter? But the good news is, all of, the, all of those fears, the fear of exposure, the fear of being cast out, the fear of losing control of our everyday existence, is modeled by Jesus on the cross. That is the cross experience. Jesus is stripped, mocked, shamed, and belittled on, a way, on his way to a gruesome death. He has the entire experience of utter darkness and defenselessness. The cross, one might say, is an experience of madness. Jesus experiences the irrational, the out of bounds. And he embodies all of this in his suffering. He embodies this as he is going to the cross for you and for me. He embodies this atypical way of thinking about the world. He was telling his apostles, he said, listen, he's like, the way that I'm going to save the world is I'm going to the cross. And they kind of thought he was off his rocker saying that. Peter tried to talk him out of it. 
And Jesus is like, no, I have to embody this. Jesus has an atypical human experience, but it's exactly that atypical experience that is our salvation. It's precisely the path of Jesus, not an aberration, not a judgment. And so to enter into the burdens of others is to enter into the cross. Madness, a certain irrationality, an atypical experience of life is not the judgment of God. It is revealed in the cross to be the way of God. It is not the negation of God's presence. Indeed, it is the very presence of salvation. Of course, it is instructive for us then that after the resurrection, after God raises and therefore honors Jesus in his atypical experience, that Jesus still bears the marks. And that's why we return to this text. I know we just did this a couple weeks ago, but nevertheless, we remember the famous story of Thomas. And Thomas wants to know, he wants to see, he wants to be convinced. And have you not been fascinated how Jesus decides he's going to convince Thomas? That Jesus is in this new body, he's in this resurrected body. I mean, for goodness sakes, he's just appearing in rooms. How he does that in his body beats me, but that seems like a pretty neat trick. But in all of that, Jesus in this brand new body, the mark of his lordship is not his appearing, it's not his muscles, it's not his life, it's his wounds. The experience of Jesus, the the convicting experience of Jesus is in the wounds. It's not in his power, it's in his scars. And to the apostles, he says, if you want to know me, you must touch my scars. Draw close to the wounds, he says. And to do that is to draw near to the very heart of God. To draw near to the shame of others is to draw near to the cross. To stand with those who are scared to death of being cast out is what it looks like to remain at the foot of the cross and indeed is the very definition of discipleship. Now this is not about in reveling in the scars, it's not about romanticizing those scars, but it's in dealing with those scars in truth and honesty. And Paul picks right up on this theme as we reimagine what discipleship might look like. Even as, and Paul's letter to the Galatians is a hoot because Paul's mad. The whole letter is just one big screed against a church that is behaving very improperly. But nevertheless, he finds a moment to praise them right at the end. He says that they came to him not in his health and vitality, but they came and came to him in his weakness and his felt shame. He says, even though my illness, and the reading today translates as physical infirmity, that is, we do not know that. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Whew. When the church draws near to the wounds of others, they welcome the very presence of God. So in this wise process, the question before us is, do we want the Jesus that we have? Do we want the Jesus that only conforms to rationality, only conforms to health, or do we want the Jesus of the cross, the Jesus of the wounds, the Jesus of transformational love? Jesus challenges the way that we we structure our ideas of health and illness, of discipleship and sinfulness. And wise is one way of entering into the call to deeply think about Jesus and what it means to be a church. It is a way of drawing closer to Jesus himself by drawing close to the wounds and scars of others. 
In no way do we want to romanticize or sentimentalize mental illness and suffering. That is not what this is about. It's about truly becoming welcoming, including supportive and engaged with mental health. And in doing so, we actually risk a deeper, more beautiful, and more dynamic Jesus. So how does any of this have to do with discipleship? It has everything to do with discipleship. Because we do this so that we might find Jesus in our neighbor. And in doing so, we might just not, we might just not find Jesus. We might discover a little bit about our neighbors as well. And they might very well teach us something about ourselves. That's what we're up to. And while we don't presume to be healers and we don't presume to pray away the problems, surely our faith rooted in Jesus can allow us to contribute to a fuller understanding of health and participate in a larger community of caretakers with others. Surely the church has some role to play in in care. And so those who struggle need support and love, yes, and we can do that. That is our call. But are we not sure that those who, who, are, who struggle with bipolarity or schizophrenia or other ways that, that mental health manifests itself in atypical ways, they are, they are the children of God too, and do they not have something to teach us about different ways of seeing the world? So let us be in discernment, but that discernment is not limited to programming or status. That discernment, is how, that discernment means how shall we be disciples of Jesus? Is our discernment to just draw near to health, draw near to some idealistic picture of Jesus? Or is it to draw near to the wounded, destabilizing, but beautiful Jesus? Are we open, friends, to entertaining angels who present themselves in those who experience the world differently than us? And if we are, then it's not just a thing we do. It is formation in the way of Jesus. That is the question that lies ahead of us. And to all of us, I invite us into that discernment. Amen.